0: standing by hey wacky bruce coming to you from an undisclosed location this is the bruce exclusive and here's your host bruce nolan ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, this sucks. I'm not a huge fan of the way the last couple of weeks have gone for the Buffalo Bills. And if you're listening to this podcast, I would reckon, I would reckon that you don't either. You don't like it. You're not having a good time. You didn't enjoy it. And I want to talk a little bit about criticism today. And I have a list of some things that I would like to see different about the Buffalo Bills moving forward to get back on track. And I want to provide context to that list by saying this. Is your criticism inclusionary or exclusionary? When you are tackling a problem and you say, well, we have issues here that we have to deal with, let's say it's your business or your marriage or anything else that matters to you, inclusionary criticism or exclusionary criticism, do you say we have this and this or do you say we have this and then when someone else brings up something else, you say no. Is there only one thing wrong? Is there ever only one thing wrong? Let me ask you that. How often do you think that happens? in Your business, your marriage, whatever it is you're trying to work on. There's just one thing, that's it, just one thing. One specific button that if you pressed, everything would be great. One specific lever where if you flipped it, everything would be great. How often is that the case? Probably not often because there's a lot of working parts. There's a lot of things that touch other things. You might say it's the ultimate team sport, kind of like football. But what happens is when we have exclusionary criticism, when we say, no, it's not the defense, it's the offense, as if there's nothing wrong with the defense. Or it's not the offense, it's the defense, as if there's nothing wrong with defense. What you are doing at that point is you are just spending your time arguing over which criticism is better when the truth is really doesn't matter because somebody's ability to fix one thing does not stop their ability to fix another thing because as we've talked about before we live in a limited resource environment but when was the last time no i can't fix that i can only fix this is is that true in football is it true in your business is it true in your marriage is it I can only fix one thing. No, of course not. And that's not true in football either. And so what happens is, instead of discussing the merits of the criticism, we spend the entire time arguing over which criticism is more warranted. And then no knowledge is transferred at all because we just keep screaming at each other. More often than not, it's about and, not or. It's this and this. And we can have a discussion about percentages if you'd like but the truth of the matter is it all still wants to be fixed if you're trying to be the best team you can be or the best person you can be or have the best business you can have or have the best marriage you can have you're gonna fix all of them eventually or at least you're gonna try so does it matter if it's 58% offense and 42% defense or 62% defense and 38% offense. Does it really matter? I would argue no. It doesn't matter. Which is the We're not going to argue over what has the bigger problem. What's the bigger problem? It doesn't matter. They're both problems. Let's talk about problems. Let's be inclusionary with our criticism because then we can actually talk about the methodology to fix it. But we can't get to the methodology to fix it because we're too busy yelling at each other Over which criticism is better. As if somehow that's competition. Are we being inclusionary with our criticism? Are we saying this and this? Or are we saying this or this? My encouragement is when things go badly, you want to spend as much time as humanly possible talking about solutions. And you can't get there if you spend all of your time yelling over the problem when the truth is that they're probably all right. Man, I wish the defense would have not let Mac Jones run a two-minute drill on Yeah, I agree with that. Let's talk about that. Oh, I wish the, the offense would have scored more points to help pick up the defense. Yeah, no, let, let's talk about that too. But if you never even get to the solution because you're too busy yelling at the problem, it's not really going to be productive dialogue. So after watching the Buffalo Bills for the last couple of weeks... I have six things that I want to talk about that I want the Buffalo Bills to do differently moving forward that I think would help right the team. And that doesn't mean that they're only six because again, criticism is inclusionary. They're just the six that pop out to me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through them one by one, talk about why I think that, how I arrived at that conclusion, and then we're going to move on to the next one. Number one, Josh Allen, stop screwing up pressure stuff and pre-snap reads. Josh Allen was not good against the New England Patriots. I'm sorry if that doesn't really rub you the right way. But Josh Allen is responsible for a play that gets run into a bad box. And you want to say it's Dorsey. But Dorsey doesn't know how many people are going to be in the box when he makes the call. Which is the reason why every quarterback has two plays. You've seen alert alert from a quarterback. It's because they're switching to the other play that was called in the huddle. Oh, the other one. We're going to do the other one. And so if you as a quarterback know it's a run to the left and you have four defenders in the box left of center and you have two blockers in the box left of center, do not run that play. And then when it runs and it gets stuffed for a loss, we go, Dorsey, no, Allen. Dorsey doesn't know how many people are in the box when he calls it. He trusts that his quarterback is going to check out of bad math in the run game. Josh Allen didn't do it. Against pressure, there is a hot receiver. There is an availability of Josh Allen to get the ball out quickly. He didn't do it in nearly enough cases. Again, we look at results. That's what happens. We look and we see that Josh Allen was under pressure. First off, why was Josh Allen under pressure? Did he slide the protection wrong? We talked about this week one. We're going to circle back on it right now. If there's a five-man blocking scheme and they bring six, there's going to be a free rusher, period. That's not Dorsey's fault. The, The idea is you want the free rusher to be on the outside and you want the quarterback to know that and accommodate for it. And if he doesn't, again, not a Dorsey issue. Dorsey has his own issues. We're going to talk about those in a second. We're going to criticize Ken Dorsey. But assign to Dorsey what is Dorsey's and assign to Allen what is Allen's. But because of our love for Allen and the perceived replaceability of an offensive coordinator versus a quarterback, we instead assign to Dorsey things that are Allen's. Allen's job, set protections. Allen's job to check out of bad run plays in the math. Allen's job. To hit the hot receiver. And he wasn't doing them. But we only see the result. He's under pressure, therefore it must be the offensive line. Or it must be Ken Dorsey. No. If it's six on five, hate to break it to you, there's going to be an open man. There's going to be a free rusher. Your job is to make the free rusher pay. That is the responsibility of the quarterback. Could be six on seven. Responsibility of the quarterback. You have heard the term that sacks are a quarterback stat. I don't think sacks are exactly a quarterback stat, but I think percentage of pressures that correlate with sacks, I think is a, a significant correlation to quarterback play. There's a reason for that. It's it's the quarterback's job to know where to go with the ball under pressure. And if it's six-man rush and a five-man protection, you are going to have pressure. There's a free man. Deion Dawkins is a good left tackle. You can't ask him to block two people at the same time but you can ask him to block the inside guy because that's the way protection rules work. We are assigning to Dorsey things that are Allen's and we need to do better. So the first thing, Josh Allen, stop screwing that stuff up. And This is my favorite extension. You blame Allen. Well, he wasn't, pre- he wasn't prepared, right? Even when it's Allen's fault, we still want to blame Dorsey and a McDermott folks. This is stuff people teach you in high school and college, setting protections, making sure you're checking out a run plays. This is stuff that people have to be able to do. There is no way you can operate an offense that does not rely upon the quarterback to do these things. There is nothing the coaching can do aside from, hey, Josh, you did the math wrong. Do the math better next time. He has to do it right. Even things that are Allen's fault, we make Dorsey's fault. And then when we tell you, hey, that's actually an Allen thing, well, it's still a Dorsey thing. I actually saw that on social media. Even if it's Allen's fault, I'm still going to blame Dorsey. What? Just, you're just being unreasonable at this point. But let's talk about Dorsey. Let's go criticize Dorsey because I'm going to do it. Let's do it. The Bills are not playing as strongly to the things that they have done well in the past, as I would like them to. They are 12th in the NFL in neutral pass rate this year. Neutral pass rate is how often you throw the ball when the game script is within grasp. So it tries to cut out when the win probability is really low or the win probability is really high. Because when the win probability is really low, you're going to be throwing, 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 throwing to try and catch up. And when the win probability is really high, you're going to be running, running, running to run the clock out. So it's, when the game is within reach, what are you doing? When you are not being acted upon by an outside influence like game script, at that point, what kind of plays are you calling? The Bills being 12th in the NFL in neutral pass rate when they have historically been in the top five, that's not good enough for me. You have Josh Allen, throw the ball more. Second thing, their pace. They're a little bit slower this year than they've historically been. Pat Thorman put this up on Twitter. The Bills are 23rd in pace, and they face teams operating at the second slowest pace, which means they're getting slowed down even more than their own offense on average. They were 14th in pace last year and 5th the year before. This is important. Do you know teams who want to slow the game down? Teams that believe they are inferior. Teams that are facing Patrick Mahomes and want to try and keep him off the field, limit drives, limit plays, they slow it down. That's what you do when you don't have Josh Allen. Now, the tricky thing about these two things I just talked about when it comes to neutral pass rate and pace is that it's hard to isolate how much of this is Dorsey and how much of it's McDermott. So instead, I'm going to criticize both of them. So McDorsey, that's a name I just made up, So McDorsey, you are responsible for this stuff. Now, I know that Sean McDermott and Brandon Beattie have both said it's a passing league. And if it's a passing league and you have an elite quarterback, throw the ball more, operate at a faster pace. That's what I want. And I understand you might be thinking you're slowing it down to protect your defense, but all you're doing is inhibiting your ability on offense to cover for your defense. If you think your defense is struggling, then try and boat race a team. That's what you should be trying to do. Now, it's not egregious. It's not like they're 27th in neutral pass rate. But they're below where I believe they should be. And they're below where I believe they would be if they were playing to the strengths of their team. So that needs to be better. And that's on McDermott and Dorsey. So McDorsey, throw the ball more. And please operate at a faster pace. We are going to take a quick break. We've been through three of the six. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumble Links podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We have been through three of the six-point plan. To help fix the Bills. Number one, Josh Allen. Stop screwing up pre-snap and pressure stuff. Number two, play with more pace. And number three, throw the ball more. McDorsey. Number four, Dalton Kincaid should be the second most targeted receiver on this team moving forward. You drafted him to be a weapon in the pass game. Dawson Knox is hurt. There is no reason that he wouldn't be the second most targeted player on this team. Cole Beasley was, who filled a similar role in, in terms of structure, similar space that you are attacking. I'm not saying Dalton Kincaid is Cole Beasley, but even you, Bill's front office, when you drafted Dalton Kincaid, made a comparison about the type of player he could be for this passing offense. And so he needs to be that player. Well, he's a rookie. I don't care. Well, he got called for a holding penalty. I don't care. He is a net positive. Yes, he's going to make a mistake. He's a rookie. It's not about whether he's a gross positive. It's about whether he's a net positive. Do the benefits outweigh the drawbacks? And the answer is yes. When was the last time a Buffalo Bills tight end caught eight passes for 75 yards? Been a bit. Been a bit. Dalton Kincaid has that ability. If you see a lot of zone, which you will see, Dalton Kincaid should be a primary read on plays against zone. You have a man beater with Stephon Diggs. You can trust him to do the things he needs to do to shake man coverage. So I'm all about it. Dalton Kincaid, second in targets moving forward. Number five, play Eli Anku at one tech, please. Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle are not it at one tech. You do not want. I I love Jordan Phillips. But I want him as a rotational three tech pass rusher. I don't want him trying to take on double teams. I made a comment on Twitter a while ago that size doesn't correlate with your ability to anchor against the run. That some of the people who are really good at anchoring versus the run are 306 pounds. And some of the people who are not good anchoring against the run are 325 pounds. This is an example of that. And for lack of a better player at that position, Eli Onku, even though you just signed him, play him at one tech. Start sniffing around for a trade. The loss of Daquan Jones is meaningful. You don't have another one-tech, and I really, really don't want to play an Oliver out of position. Play Eli at one-tech, search for a trade. Last but not least, more three-safety looks to adjust for concerns at linebacker. We saw three-safety look with Jordan Poyer down in the box against the Patriots. I actually think it went pretty well. And Dorian Williams is not ready for all of the stuff that offenses are going to throw at him as far as motion goes. When Dorian Williams was drafted, there was a big discussion about whether or not he was going to be able to play Mike to replace Tremaine Edmonds. And I quoted it on Twitter and I said, size is not the reason why I don't think Dorian Williams is a Mike. We were all talking about size on social media. It wasn't size. It was processing. It was the ability to be able to digest all of the information that was being thrown at him. When you've asked Dorian Williams to run at the ball and get the ball, he plays fast. He plays physical. I like him in coverage. If you throw a lot at him from a processing standpoint, you can get him. And the Patriots got him. So you have to decide if you're willing to get got a few times in the process of development. And in the meantime... Three safety looks to accommodate for that. I'd also look for a trade there. Josie Jewell from the Denver Broncos is a player I've talked about before that I think would fit. I'm happy with that. Just call. Just just call. Why not? Those are my six points. Stop screwing up, pre-snap and pressure stuff, Josh Allen. Play with more pace on offense. Throw the ball more, McDorsey. Play Eli Anku at one tech. Give Dalton Kincaid second most targets and more three safety looks to adjust for your concerns at linebacker while searching for a trade for both a one tech and a linebacker. Those are inclusive criticisms. Even if you didn't like one of them, you probably agreed with some of them. There are a couple things that have been percolating their way around the internet, and I want to bring them up. The first one is the narrative that the Buffalo Bills revert to the quote-unquote old offense during hurry-up, and that's when they're successful. And so Dorsey sucks because when he's involved less, the Bills do better. I'm not sure where this narrative came from, but it's an incorrect premise because the things don't magically start working at that point. Number one, Josh Allen can't screw up run checks when they don't run the ball. Number two, he still screws up protections, but... Defenses are less likely to blitz you because they're playing softer because you're losing. So they're not reverting to the old offense. They're running hurry up against softer coverages, which means the things that Allen is screwing up are less likely to be heavily impacted. Well, just do that all the time then. Well, you can't get the defense to behave their way all the time because you are not losing all the time. So yes, I want more pace, but this idea that we're just going to run the two-minute offense all the time, that's, that's not what's happening. We are incorrectly correlating what is causing them to be successful at that time. And it's because the things that Allen is screwing up now can't be screwed up with as significant of a detriment. So that's a narrative that's been going around that I think is unhealthy. Another narrative, design runs for the quarterback. I'm in as soon as Josh Allen's shoulder heals. Go watch Baltimore-Detroit from this past week. Watch how they're able to sprinkle in big plays in the passing game because of the threat of the quarterback run. I don't need them to run 15 times into the line of scrimmage. But if you sprinkle in two or three of them a game, I think it matters a lot. And it's something that we haven't seen, and I want to see it. That's another criticism of McDorsey. Because I don't know if that's a Dorsey call or if that's a directive from McDermott. So we're going to criticize them both. For that. McDorsey, you have a weapon at quarterback. He's a freak athlete. Sprinkle in a couple times a game. It doesn't have to be a meaningful part of your offense. But you can build a lot from that. Like you can do a lot of things off of that. And that'll make it work. Plurality pie for the Bills versus the Patriots. Josh Allen, 15%. Ken Dorsey, 15%. Shaw McDermott, 11%. Jordan Phillips, 7%. Dorian Williams, 7%. James Cook, 5%. Pass protection was no bueno. Gabe Davis, 5%. Osiris Torrance didn't have a good day, 4%. Other, 31%. Again, that's Allen, 15%. Dorsey, 15%. McDermott, 11%. Jordan Phillips, 7%, Dorian Williams, 7%, James Cook, 5%, Gabe Davis, 5%, Osiris Torrance, 4%, other 31%. Let's go to some emails. First, Andrew says, hi, Bruce. I hope this take finds you well. It's been a while since I've sent an email, at least since back in the almighty days of yore. I'm sending you this because the current Bill's narrative has sparked an odd comparison in my mind, and I thought you might appreciate it. That comparison is the projection of NFL game outcomes and projecting the weather. Here's a hypothetical. It's Monday. I'm at work. I check the weather. The weatherman tells me it's going to be a nice weekend. I begin to develop expectations for what my weekend will be like, and maybe even plan on some things based upon that information. I continue to tune in and see what the weatherman thinks, and he keeps seeing data showing him it will be nice, and maybe there's a small chance of some inclement weather, so I have little reason to think I should have other plans or ideas for my weekend. Finally, Saturday arrives, and lo and behold, it's raining, and now I hate the weatherman. Similarly, on Monday, I tune into analysts telling me what to expect for an NFL football game on Sunday, and then all week, most of what I hear confirms to me what to expect, with maybe a few inklings that maybe won't go always quite the way the experts are saying it will. Sunday comes around, and the outcome is not what I was told it was going to be. And if it's a worse outcome than what they told me it was going to be, I don't blame the analyst for creating the expectation. I blame the team who actively tried to steer away from those projections all week. Both people, the analyst and the weatherman, create expectations for me. But I only blame one of them when those expectations don't come true. If it's the weatherman's fault for making me think it would be nice when it's not, then it's the analyst's fault for creating expectations to a football game that's much closer to 50-50 than they would want you to believe all week long. I've come to realize it's the expectations that cause me to lose the joy of just watching my favorite team play. I stopped paying attention to the weatherman, and I just wake up and deal with the weather as it comes. I'm not mad it's raining because I don't know it was supposed to be sunny. I've taken a similar approach to football, cut out a lot of experts, and just try to focus on more objective data. But even that creates an expectation, and I find myself frustrated while watching my younger son who has no expectations. Just enjoy watching football game. In some cases, ignorance is bliss. And if we're going to fire the weatherman and not the weather, I think we should fire the analysts and not the team. Don't buy into their certainty about a historically uncertain thing. Anyway, thanks for lending your voice and wisdom each week. Go Bills. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. And hopefully less expectations and more enjoyment of the team I love to root for. Well, I mean, you know that I'm with Andy. Expectations minus reality equals disappointment. And here's what I expect. I expect to watch a football game. That's what I expect. That's it. That's what I expect. Do I get moments where I wish the Bills would, would play better? Of course I do. I want them to win every game. But I am not going to allow my expectations to be so high that a reality being so low creates such a massive wave of disappointment that it sucks the joy out of the rest of my life. Andy Anderson, I'll say it again. One of my listeners, it's a TV show, man. It's a TV show. If you watch your TV show that you love and they kill off your favorite character, does it ruin your entire week? I hope not. It's a TV show. It's a reality TV show. That's what it is. Moving on. Dave says, Hey Bruce, love the pod. First time asking a question. Well, thank you for being here, Dave. I've been thinking a lot about the past few games and trying to put them into the context of the McDermott era. He's done a great job of building the culture of this team. Players want to stay. Players leave and want to come back. Lots of former Carolina players come to Buffalo and play significant roles. Here's my question. Is Sean McDermott too loyal to his players and coaches? Can he be objective enough to get rid of underperformers to get this team to the next level? Or are his emotional connections to certain people clouding his judgment in evaluating their performance? There's always a desire to grow talent and promote from within. But sometimes it just doesn't work out and you have to move on. Certain players and coaches come to mind. Gabe, Dawson Knox, Frazier, and now Dorsey entering the conversation. Thanks as always for what you do. This is a good question. I had this conversation with Jay Spence, the King, before the year started, specifically as it relates to Mike Tomlin. And how Mike Tomlin, I think, is too loyal to Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So when I think about Sean McDermott, I think that he's always going to err on the side of too loyal versus not loyal enough. So I think the question, is he too loyal, is relative to what you own your own expectations are of how loyal you believe you should be. But I think he's always going to be a smidge more loyal than average to people. Now, in some cases, that's going to end up benefiting him. I mean, Josh Allen broke out year three. So in some cases, that's a really good thing. I think they wanted more out of Dawson Knox. I think they wanted him to be a top tight end in this league. And based on his athletic skill set, they thought, well, I'm, I'm catching him on the early part with this extension. But then I bring up things like Tremaine Edmonds. I swore the Buffalo Bills were going to re-sign Tremaine Edmonds. I was shocked when he left. Because everything they talked about was just glowing, glowing praise for Tremaine Edmonds. And then he walked. They say the same thing about Gabriel Davis. If I hadn't seen with my own eyes the Bills let Tremaine Edmonds walk, I would say the exact same thing about Gabriel Davis because of the way they talk about him. But now I'm not so sure. Now I'm not sure they are going to extend Gabriel Davis because the way that they talk about him as glowingly as they did Tremaine Edmonds clearly doesn't stop them. So for me, too loyal, I guess it depends on how loyal you think they should be. But I do think he's always going to err on being more loyal as opposed to less so. Next email. We're going to go to Brandon. Brandon says, hey, Bruce. As a lifelong Bills fan who grew up in Rochester but has since lived in Cleveland and now lives in Chicago, I find that evaluating the performance of a head coach to be very difficult. I feel it's as easy as a fan base of poorly performing teams to assume the grass is always greener. But I feel like a lot of this stems from us being more critical of teams we root for than other teams we watch. I remember being astonished that the Bears would fire Lovie Smith after being 10-6 and 6, and was even more shocked to see that everyone I knew seemed to agree with the move. I do not believe the Bills are a poorly performing team and I'm a big fan of McDermott and understand over his tenure that the Bills have seen the kind of performance Western New York has not experienced in about 30 years. Yet I personally cannot tell if the team's current shortcomings are due to McDermott being Josh or bad luck. How do you evaluate the performance of our coaches and how should we as fans understand what we've seen so far this season? By the way, this is why I love your plurality pie. I would just like some help in understanding how to do it on my own. You remain the best Bills content creator. Best of luck to you and yours, Brandon. P.S. Prime Vision is the best thing to happen to football broadcasts in a while, and I look forward to being able to watch the Bills with live all 22, even if it means a short week in a tough situation. First off, yes, Prime Vision is amazing. I'm thrilled. How do you evaluate a head coach? Well, I think it starts right away with knowing what a head coach is doing. And that's a big problem. I mentioned earlier this pod that I don't think we know what an offensive coordinator does all the time and what a quarterback does all the time. We just don't take the time to actually learn it. The number one thing that a head coach does is hire coordinators. That's the number one thing he does. He hires other coaches. He hires special teams coordinators. He hires offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. The staff he hires is the biggest part in my opinion, of being a head coach. So he is responsible for the hiring and firing of them. So it trickles up. So you can partially evaluate a head coach based on the evaluation of the people he hires. That's a big part of it. Number two is game management. You should know that head coaches make decisions when it comes to going forward on fourth down, whether or not you're gonna kick an onside kick, kick kicking a field goal, timeout calls, clock management. These are things in-game decision-making is part of being a head coach. In Sean McDermott's situation, he also calls defensive plays. The head coach is responsible for the culture in the locker room, which is a real thing that matters. In some cases, in some franchises, the head coach has personnel say, this is where it gets really muddy, and I don't want to pretend that it's clear-cut and that, well, I'm just smarter than you and I know what there is to know. No, no, it's really muddy, guys. It's really hard. For everybody, it's really hard because a certain percentage of all of these things is tied up in the head coach. A certain percentage of personnel is head coach because he's the one who tells the GM, I want these kind of players. And in some cases, in some franchises, he has final say. Who you cut versus who you don't. For a lot of people, the... GM has control over the, you know, 80-man roster. And then the head coach has control over the 53-man roster. So that matters. So knowing everything they're doing is difficult because it bleeds in everything else. So a certain percentage of your coordinator's skill level and production can be assigned to the person who hired them. But what percentage? 10, 15? It gets really muddy. The best thing you can do is to understand that it's a small part of everything and not a large part of one thing. That's the best thing you can do to evaluate a head coach. The broader, the better. Because it's not 100% of one thing. Most of the time, head coaches aren't necessarily involved in 100% of a lot of those things. Now, sometimes they call offensive plays, in which case, yeah, we can do offensive play calling. Sometimes they call defensive plays, in which case you can go, yeah, 100% of defensive play calling, we can do that. But reality, it's in-game decision-making, it's hiring the people who are going to do the things, and then it's a little bit of everything. He has his fingers in a little bit of everything. And I know that's a big topic this week with Sean McDermott, but that's what makes it so muddy. My number one encouragement to people is this, broader the better. The broader of a view you can take of your head coach, the better off you'll be. Well, he's a bad head coach. Okay, fine. Why? If you can only tell me one thing, you haven't been thinking broad enough. Let's evaluate them on everything. Evaluate them on their coordinator hires. Evaluate them on their in-game management. Evaluate them on play calling if they call plays. Evaluate them based on locker room culture. Evaluate them based on situational decision making. All of those things, not one of them. Again, what do we talk about? What is the name of this podcast? Inclusionary criticism. The best thing you can do is say, and not or. Evans says, so I saw some stats and Kincaid seems to be good at being open. So due to the necessity of this week, this will be the first time where he's the number two target for Josh. He finished with seven receptions for 120 yards and two touchdowns to go with 10 receptions for 150 yards and two touchdowns for Diggs and one dump pass touchdown to cook. Bill's 35-31 because it's going to have to be a shootout from here on out, he says. That's his Tampa Bay almighty take. We are going to finish it up with an email that isn't necessarily big football related. So if you want to stop now, go ahead and turn off your your podcast now I'll just say that's the way the cookie crumbles I'm Bruce Nolan Buffalo Rumblings and you can go ahead and cut it Artemio emailed me and said hi Bruce I hope you and your family are doing great my name is Artemio Flores I'm a lifelong Bills fan from Mexico and a huge Bruce Nolan fan this is just a quick appreciation message that I've been wanting to share with you for a little while now you have no idea how much I enjoy listening to you and how much you've improved my overall experience as a fan and in certain ways a person too seriously I love and appreciate the way you deliver your message, no matter what the topic is. I feel like I get something valuable every time I listen to the Bruce exclusive or when you're a guest in some other pod or show. You have a unique way to provide perspective, not only in football and bills related topics, but a real human issue as well. I mean that I can't tell you how many times I finished an episode thinking, wow, this really hit home in a positive way. Like that time you spoke about resiliency. Quoting Bardem's poem, or a few weeks ago when you opened up about what you went through with your mom when you were younger, also about your health more recently and how we need to stop dehumanizing athletes and people in general. I truly thank you for all that because it's important and sometimes we lose sight of it as people in general, but especially as fans. I obviously don't really know you and likely never will, but in a weird way, I kind of feel like I do. Like I know how Drax goes all in on everything he does or how Mrs. Nolan sounds like she's the best human who ever walked the earth. She is, by the way or even some of your few likes and dislikes with the importance of texture in every bite. I guess I'm trying to tell you this because I'm trying to be more grateful and appreciative in my life. And so this is my way of saying thank you for everything you do. Maybe some other time I'll tell you more about myself and how one of my goals is to get to a point where I can create content that provides value to someone, the same way it happens to me when I consume yours. Anyway, sorry if I went too long with the email. As I said, I just want to show you some appreciation. Maybe you weren't expecting to read so many lines, without getting to an actual Bills or football question for one of your episodes. Or maybe you were just expecting something different. In any case, all I can say is, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Thanks again for everything. Sincerely, Artemio. I needed that this week. This was a tough week. It's a hard week. I had somebody ask me a while ago. They said, Bruce, how does this come so easy to you? And I said, you are misunderstanding. This is extremely hard for me. It's really, really hard for me. Um, I'm a busy guy and I work a lot to try and make sure that I'm watching the all 22 and I'm taking notes and I'm making sure that I am saying things that I believe are intelligent and true. Coming up with podcast topics for 52 weeks a year. I think since I've been doing this, it's been almost five years now. I think I've missed like three episodes in five years. It's been a long time. And. Even after everything we've been through, I'm still here doing this thing. And it's really hard for me. This does not come naturally to me. I'm not entirely sure why I keep doing it. I think it's because of you guys. I think it's because I I get to connect with you guys. And I I don't really have anybody else to talk to about the bills. And so I think sometimes by me talking into this microphone and and you emailing me back and, and, and tweeting me back and messaging me back... I think it almost feels like I have people to talk to about the Bills because I, I don't have anybody else to talk to. I talk with Mrs. Nolan about the Bills, but I don't have any friends that I talk to on a daily basis. For a lot of you, you're either from Buffalo or you have you're from a, a family of Bills fans and you talk to these people every day about the Bills and I don't. And so in a way, this is a connection to a community that I, I don't have. And I think that's why I keep doing it. I keep doing it because I like the connection to the community. And that's, that's because of you. If I connected to this community and you all rejected me, I probably wouldn't want to be part of it anymore. But you you didn't. You you took me in as one of your own. Even though I'm this strange guy behind a microphone who you don't know and have never seen and probably never will. You took me in. And so I appreciate Artemio saying thank you. I, I, I 100% teared up. When I read the, I'm not not ashamed of that. But I'm the one who should be saying thank you because that's the reason why I keep doing this. I keep doing it even though it's hard and it's not something that comes naturally to me because of you, because of what you give back to me. I view it as a net positive because of that. We should try to do things in life as much as possible that are net positives. And if this wasn't a net positive, I would stop doing it. But right now it is a net positive because of you, because of what you give back to me. So thank you for everything. I, I cannot, I cannot possibly express to you how grateful I am for everything that you guys have done for me. So I know it's probably a little bit sappy and maybe not what you want to hear on a Thursday morning, but you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo Broncos.